Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Uh, Russell, here we are again, week after week. We have amazing people. And yet today, um, this, uh, this is a friend from years ago. I sent out an email asking people if they wanted to contribute to the magazine or be on the show. And immediately, Stuart Levine responded. So how are things in Denver today, Russell? It's a little cloudy, a little bit cooler than it has been. But we're in the fall season. And uh, all is well otherwise. Uh, welcome, Stuart. Thank you for coming. My, my pleasure to be with you guys today. I'll Stuart actually, Levine. Stuart I'll Levine. Actually, uh-huh. I'll be landing in Denver tomorrow, early tomorrow morning and then driving up to Vail for some um, American Bar Association meeting. So interesting because I have a new book. I have a new book um, called uh, Becoming the Best Lawyer You Can Be. How to Maintain Physical, Emotional, Spiritual, and Mental Health. Um, wow. Published by the American Bar Association, 20, 27 authors. I kind of curated it and edited it. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of very, very excited um, by it. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's, so it's let's, really, let's, um, let's back up. We, and I'm sure what? there's people watching want to know... Who is this guy, Stuart Levine, anyway? So why don't you tell him? So thank you, you. So um, here's a short synopsis. Um, I practiced law for about 10 years in a, in a reasonably traditional number of different contexts, starting off with the New Jersey Attorney General's office. And then I got, uh, I got tired of fighting with people. And it was before the whole ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution Movement, um, came on board. Um, so I decided to do a little career change. And I, uh, I spent six years inside of AT&T uh, as they were going through huge organizational change and transformation with major law firms as my clients, not in a legal sense, but in a kind of account representative sense. Parallel track, I studied divorce mediation because um, I wanted to use the skills I had developed as a lawyer and I learned a lot about communication, about collaboration, about conflict resolution, working with couples getting divorced because no one is in worse shape than that. Um, and over time, I kind of moved that work over into working with organizations, uh, teams, um, organizational transformation, cultural change work, uh, individual coaching. And so for the last 30 years, you know, that essentially is what I've been doing. And in the last 10 years, I've learned a ton teaching programs uh, and all the soft skills, relationships, relationship skills on behalf of the American Management Association. I've done a number of collaborations over time with various other individuals, um, all in the uh, organizational space. So that's kind of the, the, the short um, synopsis, except I've also written a couple of uh, best-selling books. The first one is called Getting to Resolution, Turning Conflict into Collaboration. It was endorsed by Stephen Covey. It was named one of the best business books of 1998. Second edition came out. 
2008 in a follow-up book called The Book of Agreement, um, 10 Essential Elements for Getting the Results You Want. Um, and that was endorsed by a number of notable people. Um, so that's the, that's, the, that's the short answer. And you and I met in the context of um, both being on the faculty of an organization called CEO Space. Um, and so it's a pleasure to see your face again, you. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure. Um, thank you for stepping up when I sent out that probing email. Actually, we were standing and there was a group out in the lobby and somebody was addressing the group and I whipped out my, my draft of my um, workbook, Building High Performance Teams, and I said, would you do me a favor and review this and tell me what it's missing? And then you sent me an email said it has nothing about agreements in here. <laughs> so I asked if I could quote, you know, quote your, your book of the 10, 10 elements, essential elements of agreements. So I give you attribution and I refer to those all the time. And I send people to Amazon to get that book. It's, it's really a treasure. We're speaking to um, people that are in the, the, the social benefit, the for purpose sector, they're clergy running a church or synagogue. They are, executive directors running a for-purpose community-based um, organization. They're running a membership organization. Um, and, and I see a lot of conflict because people haven't been really good in creating this agreement. Uh, they don't write it down. They haven't decided uh, how we're going to define expectations. And so I would guess we're, we're talking about collaboration and alignment today. And I would think one tenet of alignment is to be able to have your expectations written down. So where do you start with alignment? What's the starting point? Sure. Um, So just to kind of frame this, all right, Um, what I always say to people is that you can pay me now or pay me later. And if you pay me now, you'll pay me a lot less. And essentially what that means is spend a little time on the front end making sure you have alignment, making sure you have shared expectations. Otherwise, the root of conflict is when people have different understandings of what they're doing together, and they have a different sense of metrics in terms of how we're gonna measure whether or not we were successful. So critical piece is spending time on the front end. And you know, the Book of Agreement contains about 30 model of agreements for, um, getting to a place of human alignment. Those 10 elements, they're actually so good, I actually put them on the back of my business card, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not like I'm trying to keep any secrets. I'm, I'm happy to give them away. And you start off by having a conversation, all right? What is our intent and vision, slash, in other words, what are we doing together? What are we doing together? What's our intent and vision? And by the way, just as a little aside, most legal agreements are something that I refer to as agreements for protection. What if this goes wrong and what if that goes wrong? And there's not a huge amount of time spent on, so what are we trying to achieve here? And that was kind of the, you know, the, the perspective that I took. So what's our intent and vision? What is the role that each one of us is gonna play. In other words, what's each party, each person responsible for? What are the specific promises that each person makes? In other words, what is each person gonna do to bring that vision into reality? How are they gonna contribute? 
Um, what's the value that each person perceives they are getting out? Okay, why? Because if people don't perceive they're getting value out of any form of collaboration, they'll stop contributing, they stop performing. Metrics, how will you measure whether or not you were successful? Kind of get it to a place of objectivity. Concerns and fears, you know, people often have concerns and fears that they're, they don't want to talk about, they're shy. Um, uh, and what I like to do is put this in the model. No, 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 this is something you have to talk about. Um, renegotiation, the idea that when we begin, we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And as we work together, moving down the road, we discover things, so we constantly need to be mindful of renegotiating that agreement to make sure we're back in a place of alignment. Um, consequences or benefits, what's at stake here? What's really at stake in this collaboration for the individuals involved, for the organization, for the community that's being served in terms of the, 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 the world of um, nonprofit and benefit organizations. Um, conflict resolution. We know that things happen. How are we gonna resolve the, the conflicts and differences when they come up? And after you've talked about all those nine things, then you have a sense, you look at it at that, the, the other person or the group and go, yes, no, all right, you know, this is a project that I'm engaged with. Um, um, what I like to say is if you've got good alignment, um, you don't have to worry about loose panels flapping on the rocket ship that you're trying to get yes, no. to take off. Right? You know, this is a project that I'm engaged with. Um, um, what I like to say is, I'm not sure where that came from, a little feedback from the universe, that's okay. So the last element, number 10, is, you know, agreement and trust. Are we aligned? And, you know, this is what is essential to do at the front end. People who, who start to use this and discover it think it's kind of like sliced bread because it's just um, amazing, this simple 10-element model, what it can create and what it can save you in the long run. Absolutely. And I, I call it paying the upfront price. You, you know, the, the, you quoted the, what was it, the Fram oil filter, pay me an hour, pay me later. That's a great commercial. And it's so true. It's so true. And it's the price up front is far cheaper. That's a brilliant model. And, and what, what happens when you get to number 10, you really know that you have an agreement. And yeah, you know, you know you have an agreement or you know you don't, <laughs> which is of equally, which is, of equal value, you know that, okay, this is, we're, we're not in alignment. I don't think we can get to alignment. And so uh, this is not a good project to, to work on together. And I, I don't know if you know, I do lots of group board meetings and staff um, meetings. I, I'm um, fundamentally music, musical connector, um, helps build ensemble, which is a synergy with group, group interaction. And in the South, you can tell, y'all can tell them in the South, we say none of us is as smart as all of us. And so how do you get the, the best thinking, the best collective thinking, thinking without going into groupthink? And, and my answer to that is we, we teach people how to build consensus. And I find most people confuse 
consensus and compromise when they're the exact opposite. There's consensus, win-win, compromise, lose-lose. And what it, what dawns on me is you're describing that model, which I, I've, I've read so many times, is that that sort of prompts people to talk in a different way, discover new things, and come to some sort of consensus that either we can work together or we we can't. Is that is consensus part of alignment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, consensus essentially is alignment, and I'm glad you mentioned the word um, compromise, because and 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 you you said it exactly correctly. You compromise. Um, leads to lose-lose, people giving up what's important to them. Consensus is we're all in agreement, we're all in alignment, we're all kind of moving forward towards the same things um, with the same end result in mind. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very, very um, misunderstood. And I yeah. don't care what setting it is, if it's a corporate setting, a corporate board, I mean, a boardroom, or, or anything like that. I think it's 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 really misunderstood, and it's important that we we can build that synergy if we're going to work together as teams. So, um, why why is alignment essential in today's world? And why don't you go to D.C. and teach them? Just <laughs> <laughs> skip that second part. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Um, I want to go back a second and I'll come to your question, but I just want to punctuate this point you. Um, What also happens in the process of having this conversation is you start to develop real deeper relationship, right? Um, I don't mean, you know, intimate personal relationship. I mean, working, working relationship. And as we all know, when you have relationship with people you're working with, it's much easier to resolve differences, which will, you know, inherently come up. The only reason people end up in lawsuits is when relationships break down. That's the only time they resort to to those 100-page agreements that attorneys usually prepare, when the relationship breaks down. Otherwise, they work it out. They want to keep working together. All right. Now, having said that, why why is this kind of more important in today's world? I think it's more important in today's world because we have a lot less face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. So much of what we're doing transactionally is, um, is virtual. And in those kinds of situations, it's easier to be a jerk, okay? And people don't consciously spend time to build relationships. And this is kind of a way to do it. So that's, that's, that's one piece. Um, second piece is, it's too costly when things break down, when you end up in conflict and, and, um, and end up in any kind of lawsuits or any kind of legal process, when things break down, you, you can't afford it, okay? You can't afford it. You can't afford to waste that time. We're moving so, so quick. Number three, I think that if you look out at the world, um, it seems that there's a movement towards a much more more values-based um, business and organizational um, culture, much more, because people realize what goes around comes around. You can't treat um, transactions um, as a one-shot deal. Um, we've got to be more relational and values-based. Um, in part, you know, even the millennial generation coming up. Um, 
for them, it's, 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 uh, it's real important to be part of a mission-driven organization, whatever that mission um, happens to be, and even to frame for-profit missions as having, uh, uh, co quote, missionary value. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, culture, culture is becoming, um, or, or business organizations in, in some sense are becoming um, a place where people get in culture, uh, business, nonprofits, um, that in that context, it's where we spend so much time. So bringing values into that um, and alignment are critical, probably more than you wanted to hear. And to go back to go back to that other question about Washington, D.C., you know, about 10, about 10 years ago, I was actually uh, doing a program, a two-day program for the um, Federal Executive Institute, which is run out of the Treasury Department. And I had about 75 people for two days. And at the end of the program, a bunch of Navy officers came up to me in white uniforms and said, you need to go down the block and and teach those guys in Congress. Well, bottom line is, all right, you know, it's like, I don't know if you, if you remember um, those old uh, jokes, you know, how many blanks does it take to change a light bulb? Mm -hmm. So how many, how many psychologists does it, does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but it's got to want to change, all right? Mm -hmm. And the guys in DC or the women or the folks in DC, I use guys generically, um, they don't seem to want to change. They're, they're sitting in some old cultural model, and that's why um, you know, the, the, the rating in DC of the folks that we elect as representatives and our employees, the ratings are just so incredibly low. They are, and you know, we're, we're shaped by the culture that we've experienced and the culture we've been injected into we don't have to accept that. Um, and, and I can't imagine what it's like on the inside, but some of the large companies and some of the large churches that I served have a, have a culture and you, you refer to this topic of conflict, but before we leave the alignment and the, um, and the, the agreement piece, what I've experienced and witnessed when people have those kinds of conversations. And by the way, um, <laughs> Another place where Russell and I present and attend is the Business Acceleration Summit with um, your, your cheerleader, uh, Shannon Grunich, who studied your program with you, and she she's, uh, uses it and uses it quite well. Um, but in going through that process, there's a transformation that happens with people's perspective and even so, with people who, who want to change um, there's a substantive uh, transformation that happens. Give us a story. Of, uh, am I right? Does that happen when people are exploring those those options? And if if so, is there an example, uh, without giving names, an example of a kind of transformation that happens when people can have a different kind of conversation? It creates connection, okay? Mm. And connectivity, okay, to me, human connectivity is kind of um, the key to productivity. All right. Hey, that sounds like a rhyme. Connectivity is the is the is the key to productivity. It is. If you think about um, high performance teams, what was it about the teams that made them great? The human relationships, um, the high levels of trust. When you create alignment, that is naturally going to happen. Um, you know, and then you know, for religious organizations, 
you know, go back to the, to the words of Christ, wherever two or more of you are gathered, there is one. So when you create alignment and connection, you create, uh, you know, a different kind of a, um, um, an energy. Uh, um, it's there, you know, um, it's there. You know, one other thing I wanted to say about this, you, is um, when you, you mentioned the word culture, all right? Mm-hmm. And I, I do cultural transformation work, and people often ask for, geez, I'd like to change this culture. Great, you know? It's a very amorphous concept. But when you think about what is culture in an organization, culture is actually held in relationships, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And relationships are a function of agreements, implicit and explicit. And I say, if we can make our agreements explicit, we can change the culture by having agreements about how we will be with each other, how we will treat each other. I've done this in many, many organizations over time. Um, and, and it always comes up value-based because people use their highest aspirations when they're creating these kinds of agreements. So culture, huge piece. Mm-hmm. Let's focus in on that a minute because as a conductor, I create uh, high-performance cultures in choirs and orchestras. And um, if you're familiar, so the, the person at the front um, influences others. So I, I have a lot of leaders that say, I want other people to change. And I point out, that ain't going to happen unless you change. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Murray Bowen, a psychiatrist who has a whole leadership methodology. And, and Bowen's, Bowen's wisdom is if you want to change people on your team, you change yourself. And, and they reflect that. And what you're talking about is a vulnerability of, of the leader willing to open their brains to something new. Uh, Jim Kuzis, favorite, favorite leadership consultant and his partner, Barry Posner. Um, talk about as one of the key elements of leadership, modeling the way. So that's just kind of a validation of exactly what you just said, you modeling the way, change yourself first, show others how you want them to be. Um, Critical, critical piece, critical piece. Amen. 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 You know, it's interesting. Um, I did a project for a um, state government agency a few years ago. And um, you asked for an example. They were um, implementing a new fiscal system for the entire state. And it was coming out of the controller's office. Now, you can imagine um, the political, the legacy systems. And it was a group of professionals, accountants, that were actually charged with the pilot program. And um, I got a call from someone who had seen me present about 10 years before for the project management institutes in the greater Bay area, San Francisco, which is where I am. And um, I got in there and used the models that we're talking about to get to the bottom of what conflicts were between the various units and to create an agreement about how it was that these folks were gonna move forward with a level of human alignment to get this first pilot off the ground and then the implementation off the ground. So um, it's amazing, you know, 
what these um, 10 elements of agreement can do. Um, it's a systematic way of creating connectivity, alignment, shifting culture, um, how to get humans hooked up and connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming back. We're champions of transformational leadership, but it's a, it's a, that's a transformational mindset here of people being aware. And I think what happens when I've seen leaders go through steps like what you're proposing, there's a transformation of their knowledge and their, their very being because they see the world differently when they start having conversations. Yeah. And I call, I call that mindset resolutionary thinking. Resolutionary thinking. So yeah, mindset is certainly something that um, I've talked about. As a matter of fact, it's interesting in my first book, Getting to Resolution, uh, when Stephen Covey endorsed it, he actually said the mindset and the skill set are just terrific. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. I've been hogging all the time here and I want to give Russell a chance. He's been, he, he, um, he listens and Russell, I noticed Stuart doesn't miss a lick. He comes back to my questions, even though I forgot to ask them <laughs> real clarity of thought here. So Russell, what are you hearing? And do you have a, uh, before we switch over to talking about conflict, do you have any any observations or questions on this this powerful part that Stuart's bringing to us? Well, you know, in thinking about alignment, it sort of starts with ourselves. And uh, I'm going to go out on the limb. I guess that's why you wrote this latest book to talk about internal alignment. And, and we all have that. And, and when we recognize that need to align ourselves internally, then we get along better with others. But what's critical to to this alignment and approaching this process in this manner is to stop any problems before they start. You know, people don't do business with entities. People do business with business. So if we're not aligned or not on the same page, uh, it's probably not going to work very well. So... I really appreciate all of the things that I see. This is a book that I keep for myself. I've used it to put agreements together that I uh, uh, put together for people I do business with so that we can create a good set of expectations. We don't want to have problems later. And although this book has been around for a while, people don't seem to be as proactive as they could be. You look at your typical agreement, it's written in legalese. And uh, we don't want to duck for cover. We want to work together and solve some problems. So I love your approach uh, in that way. Yeah, it's interesting, Russell. You know, having practiced law for 10 years, I, I saw all of these legal form books that the lawyers just put the names in. Um, and in some ways, when I wrote the book of agreement, it was my antidote antidote okay to that kind of agreement you know i i the legal agreements i call agreements for protection my agreements i call agreements for results okay they help you get to that place uh you want to um so yeah um thank you um thank you and yeah just to validate your point um this whole notion of being aligned internally, having some level of clarity, having some level of, I'll call it emotional intelligence, call it mindfulness, um, call it 
uh, being awake, um, uh, call it for, you know, religion, uh, religious people having some element, a level of Christ consciousness. Um, all of these things are kind of critical to be able to engage effectively with others. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways, having yourself out of the way a bit, all right, so that you can listen to the, to the needs and wants of others, which is the only place you get connectivity. Mm -hmm. That's the way when I talk about listening skills, I say that listening is a skill that has you show up as a great communicator, and it's one of the few things that you can do unilaterally. You don't need anybody else's cooperation. Um, all you have to do is drop your concerns and be in service to the other to find out what it is they're talking about. And that's the kind of the foundational piece to create real connectivity. So uh, this, go ahead, Russell, do you have a question? You're noodling on here? Well, no, I was just thinking about what the, the great problem is. And I think that a lot of us internally uh, make assumptions. And when you make accept, uh, assumptions that expectations are built upon, that's what leads to conflict. Uh, I've heard people define expectations as pre-planned resentments. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and, and people don't come to the table. They, they sit down, they sign an agreement, they assume that the other side knows what it is that they want and what those expectations are. And there's a lot of legalese without really getting to the meat and potatoes of assumptions. So, yeah, you know, um, Russell, one of the one of the mantras when I was practicing law, I'll never forget this, was when you'd come to a resolution of the case. All right, the mantra was, if everybody's unhappy, then you've got a good settlement. And I just scratched my head the first time I heard that and said, no, there's got to be a better way than this. And so this is like a perfect transition, if you guys want to talk about conflict a little bit, to the whole notion of, you know, resolving conflict is about, what I say, getting to resolution, not having an agreement that everybody is unhappy with. <laughs> because you haven't resolved uh, anything. You know, going back to our initial discussion, you've compromised, okay? And you've ended up in a lose-lose. Um, situation just to be able to kind of move forward but you know you've killed a relationship you've killed um kind of a, a what may have been an opportunity for real productivity and generativity yeah mm -hmm. yeah amazing so this this um fictitious topic of conflict in the workplace mm -hmm. um you know why don't you give us a perspective how do you how do you define conflict Oh, great. Okay. So an important distinction, distinction in this conversation initially is um, differences versus conflict. Okay. Mm -hmm. Differences, as we all know, are a good thing. It leads to, you know, differences in diversity of opinion, leads to better solution, leads to innovation, leads to creativity. So differences, different perspectives is a good thing. All right. Um, now, Conflict arises when people become committed to being right, okay? When their egos take over and 
their way or the highway or my way is the right way or I have the truth here, all right? And that's when they get emotionally attached. And that emotional attachment, that's, that, that's what I call conflict, okay? Difference is a good thing. Conflict, emotional attachment. Where that leads to in terms of thinking about conflict, it's never about who's going to get the corner office. It's about the individual's emotional attachment. So if you really want to resolve the conflict, and I learned this early on doing divorce mediation, deal with the emotion first. Whatever that happens to be, give people the opportunity to vent and get that emotion out of their system. And then whatever they were fighting about, it almost seems like silly, you know, when people have the opportunity to talk about the emotion that was really kind of hanging them up, all right? Or another way of um, kind of looking at that is you can think of conflict as oppositional like this, all right? People are gripped in emotion. Um, if we were all emotionally mature uh, and evolved, um, when something was not working, you could just say to each other, this isn't working, is it? And you'd both go, no, it's not. Great. Where do we want to go together? Where do we want together to go together in the future? Great. Then as opposed to processing this conflict, let's just create a new agreement. Because uh, whatever, whatever we think we have by way of agreement is not working, let's create a new agreement prospectively for where we want to go to together from this point forward. Otherwise, we keep dragging the baggage and the cost of conflict with us moment to moment to moment, and the cash register is ringing on that cost. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's a, 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 a frame, a way to think about it. And yeah, um, operating on assumptions and crossed expectations um, is the greatest cause of conflict in, in organizations, okay? Greatest cause of conflict. Mm -hmm. You, you look like you want to say something. No, I'm just, I'm, um, I do find it um, pretty much in any, any organization. And um, it's, it's more prevalent when people aren't willing or able to confront the facts. And we, we've spun confront to be a toxic thing, what it really means with your front. And um, what I also learned in studying the work of Murray Bowen, and I mentioned earlier, is that you approach conflict uh, directly and calmly and factually. And if you've got your, your agreement form, we've got the renegotiation piece in there. And we don't think we can do that. We set the plan and said so we've made the plan. We've got to work the plan. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Something is wrong. And so this, this renegotiation piece um, it would occur to me as, is a part of the way to move through conflict. Critical piece, okay? Critical, critical, critical piece. Just to validate this notion about confronting, um, Intel, which has been a pretty successful organization over the years, they actually characterize their uh, culture as um, our culture is one of constructive confrontation. Constructive conversation. You know, mm -hmm. we we tackle what's off in terms of alignment. You know, we wanna be in that place of getting back to alignment. 
And yeah, the renegotiation is that piece, okay? You know, but as you know, people sometimes, you know, get attached to being right or their way. Actually, when the clarity of expectation was not set correctly at the front end with a good solid agreement of the kind I might help facilitate or the kind that you use. Mm -hmm. Well, it, 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 um, back to the, the relationship piece. Um, what I find when happens and we had a guest a couple of months ago from Australia who has a brilliant tool, a conversations game and people are able to take down a mask and talk about things they really didn't think they would talk about. And people who were enemies ended up asking each other for their phone numbers. And it's just, part of it is, is disarming people by leading them into having conversations of substance rather than the, the ones we think we ought to have. It's, it, it really, we learn about the other person. So there's, there's, this, um, there's this relationship building. And that's what's so good about my definition of consensus is an agreement that's that's worked out in 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 a group process, but it's backed by relationship. Sure. So if you've gone through your agreement, your your tenth point is you're in agreement because you know you've you know each other by then. So speak to the relationship piece of this as you're moving through conflict. And also, we write the agreement. How do we keep it act active instead of a piece of paper we file away? Great. So um, first of all. It's, it's not a hundred pages, it's probably two or three, um, as you see for all the, the agreements in the book of agreement, that's one. Two, in terms of the relationship piece, um, people do get emotional, okay? Um, we have different perspectives, um, we have different observations, uh, we have different feelings because we're, we're you know, unique individual biological machines. And so we get emotional our emotions get triggered. Um, so you need to give people the context in which they have the opportunity to get those up and out of their system. And in, in, in my conversational model for resolving conflict, there are two ways in which that's done. One, people get to tell their stories about the situation, which is a narrative, an open-ended question. And then there are a specific set of questions to move people down a little bit deeper, to make sure what's tied up on the inside actually comes out. And it's almost like there's not the truth of what the stories that people hold is, but you need to give them the opportunity to get it up and out and clear it so that they can then resume that positive relationship moving forward in the future. I mean, I saw this with couples, you, that was where I learned, and the emotions don't run so high in organizations. But I saw couples, you know, get out of them um, and given the opportunity to realize, oh, that was my husband, that was my wife, that was my partner, that was my mate, that was my lover. You know, how have I gotten to the point where I've created them as such a monster? Um, by my own, you know, the noise in my own head. They were doing the best that they could. And that's what most people realize in this process, that the other was not intentionally trying to be hurtful, but they were trying to do the best that they can. And we all know we're you know, living in a very fast paced um, soup that the military 
of all places, the U.S. military has defined as we live in a VUCA environment. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex and ambiguous. This is the soup we're all trying to transact in. And so people get to see and, and realize, oh, they were doing the best that they could now, so what's our relationship gonna be you know, going forward? Um, Very, oh, this is so synergistic, Russell, with what we teach, isn't it? Very much so, very much so. And as we move through this process, it's taking the you statements out of what we say to people. I think that's critical. This is a place, and I know that when you talk about marketing, uh, people want to address use statements to talk about what the value is for the people that you're serving. When it comes to conflicts, though, use statements can escalate it. So it's backing away from those things and, and really setting a frame where people want to cooperate, they want to resolve things, and they don't want to make it personal. And there's a skill, uh, and we'll probably address interpersonal skills in this. There's a skill that for separating people from behavior or from statements. And uh, that's really critical to creating a place where you, you've got an environment or a framework where you want to come to agreement. Critical. Okay, critical. I mean, you know, we've all seen it where, um, you know, you have major breakdowns on a business side and people realize, geez, there's too much profit here. We've got to, you know, make this work. Um, I did a program a number of years ago for a nonprofit private adoption agency. Um, it was a partnership between um, a county child welfare agency and this adoption agency. And what the adoption agency did is they got kids who were considered unadoptable um, up to speed so that they could be placed in permanent adoptive homes. Now, the consequences for a kid being emancipated when they're still in foster care and don't have a permanent adoptive home, huge. I've got masters of social work on both sides and it was almost like central casting. I'm working in a room where I've got posters of the kids all around, poster size. And the bottom line was I kept trying to get them real, to realize, and, and they got it, that working together is absolutely essential because there's a larger benefit here. And people realize that. Um, and, and to have a programmatic way, programmatic way of moving through the difference in conflict and my goal was to get it so that it wasn't just an agreement on the surface, but people would have a context in which to cleanse that emotion. They would resolve that emotion and that emotion wouldn't linger going forward so that they could actually have real alignment. The technical term I use is there was no longer any chatter, okay? There was no longer any chatter, mm -hmm. yeah. As you're working through this, you referred to some, both of you, some skills. So what, Stuart, what are the critical interpersonal skills that one must pay attention to and, and embrace? Sure. So, you know, this whole area of emotional intelligence, which has become a, a kind of um, 
a buzzword these days, you know, self-knowledge, having some knowledge of who you are and self-awareness, what's going on inside of you at any moment in time. Self-regulation, capacity to manage your own um, behavior and your own um, emotion. Um, Self-motivation, knowledge of what's important to you, okay? Which is like a strategic element of emotional intelligence. Um, empathy, care and concern for others. You know, I go back to my, um, it's actually part of my electronic signature. People, you know, use it all the time. It's a couplet from Longfellow. If you knew the secret history of those you would like to punish, you would find a sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all your hostility. Whoa. Very, 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 very powerful, you know, standing in other shoes. And the skills of, you know, um, speaking from the I perspective or I statements, as Russell mentioned earlier, listening skills as kind of a, a critical skill, um, being able to appreciate and understand that um, the operating system of the human biological machine over there is different than the operating system in this human biological machine. Not good or bad, it's just, it's just um, the way it is. Trying to be more audience-centric in our conversation. Think about who it is that we're, we're, we're speaking to. Um, otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves. Um, so those are, those are, those are probably um, kind of the most um, critical pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and mo many leaders aren't aware of the impact and influence they have in the culture and not, and self-awareness is, is something that I, I see a lot of leaders struggle with. And so what Russell and I, and I'm probably you serve as a confidential advisor to leaders, we call it different things. Uh, I choose not to use the word, the C words, coach or consultant, but uh, you know, it's, it's around that mentoring, con consulting, coaching people, and actually helping people discover some of these blind spots. So what is your opinion on successful leaders having an advisor of some sort? Oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's critical because leaders, leaders basically are working alone, okay? If they're at the top of the pyramid, um, or as Max Dupree would say, the bottom of the pyramid, I'm here to serve everybody else. But essentially, you know, and it's, it's in all the literature, leaders are working alone. So to have someone that they can confide in and talk about their own, um, uh, you know, insecurity, right? Um, or insecurities, you know, um, it's kind of a critical piece. And the, the, the self-awareness is, um, when I'm, when I'm teaching, I always say my goal is, is to become a more uh, audience-centric, emotionally intelligent, conscious communicator, all right? <laughs> when I'm teaching communication skills. And by conscious communicator, I mean, you've thought through in some ways the impact of what you're saying on other people, the impact of what you're doing. Ah, another one I left at you is um, nonverbal, the awareness of your nonverbal skills. As we all know, so much of our communication, somewhere between 60 and 90% is nonverbal. And to be aware that people are picking up messages um, from you. So to be mindful about the 
presence that you you bring, right? Um, it's just so so important. Always having two-way communication, two-way communication. You know, or as I like to say, um, communication happens when you establish shared meaning. Broadcasting messages is not communication. All right, mm. it's broadcasting messages. It's a, it's a big difference. Communication when you have a back and forth that leads to a shared meaning or a common understanding. Mm -hmm. It's a lost art in some places. We, you, we're in this high-tech world and people are sending out data assuming that's communication. Um, but I appreciate your re reframing of that. That's the biggest, in 31 years of working with groups, that's the, always, always the subject of communication comes up, lack thereof. And really, it's like um, Wayne Dyer used to say, as you, as you pursue happiness, it eludes you. And it's almost the same with communication. You focus on communication, it eludes you, when really it's a byproduct of building relationships and being clear uh, on our agreements, our purposes, our expectations. So within your strategy and implementation, your strategy, communication happens. If, if and you've demonstrated in this, this call today, um, really good listening skills. And that's, that's top being a conductor, you know, um, we impact, uh, we impact the culture by what we do. And the visual parts huge. One of the trainers of conductors says, uh, what they see is what you get. So the impact we have, uh, and that self-awareness, um, is, is a huge one. So there's, I appreciate that list of skills because a good leader is always working on those, aren't they? Always, this is, you know, it's, it's the whole notion of lifelong learning. And after each interaction, you know, you have the level of mindfulness to do a little bit of a self-assessment. How did I do? Um, how might I have uh, been a little bit better um, at doing that? Because it's always about um, creating relationships, always, always. You know, one of the things I wanted to say in terms of the context that you guys operate in, you know, the, um, the religious and nonprofit organizations, um, in those institutions, um, it takes an additional degree of focus to some sense. Why? Because people, um, people have... Um, a different sense of self. And by that, I mean, there's a sense of, there is some element, and I don't say this in a negative way, there's an element of righteousness. We're engaging and working on a good cause. We are, we are working for something positive and of value. And when it comes to interpersonal relationships, that righteousness can have a tendency to get in the way, okay? which I'm sure you've experienced over time. So, you know, and this is, this is where these skills become important uh, in, in those contexts. Mm -hmm. There was something else I wanted to say in response to what you said, um, you were saying, you, and it left my mind. It's just the thought that kind of drifted off into the universe. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll come back before we're done. Well, mm -hmm. and I, I'm very fond of people that can capsulize things. Uh, and I, as I'm thinking through all of what you're talking about, um, the leader impacts people. We're anxious. It spreads, it spreads throughout the community. Um, 
Richard Rohr, author and founder of Center for Action and Contemplation, says hurting people hurt people. And then he also says transformed people transform people. Um, and, and so it would, would occur to me working through the system that you've created, which is it's, it's, it's not really difficult, but it's pretty profound in, in its simplicity and its directness and the impact that it has. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. It's it's kind of um, I was just working with a group of um, senior uh, scientists, um, and I knew that they would love this. This whole model that I'm talking about, um, I actually have it drawn down to a uh, uh, half a page schematic. Okay, <laughs> with with um, each each one. Of the um, of the of the the critical element, and um, you know, it's um, as I like to say with so many things in this area, um, all of the things we're talking about are simple, but not easy. Simple to understand. This is not rocket science, but um, not always kind of easy to do. You know, there's the uh, there's the there's the one page <laughs> cycle of resolution. It's, what book is that in? It's in uh, getting to resolution, turning conflict into collaboration, page two forty eight. Mm -hmm. And and Stuart, you can find out more about Stuart at resolutionworks.com. And I imagine your books are listed somewhere on your website, as possibly on Amazon as well. They are. They're in. They're in all of those places. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give you a chance. I'm going to do a sponsor moment here, give you a chance to have a parting shot with people. What would, what would you like to leave people with? And then Russell will uh, close us out with this interview. We, we are able to provide free resources for nonprofit and religious leaders because of our sponsors. And today we're supported by Word Sprint. Word Sprint is top of mind marketing. It's mail mail, the print and mail Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. And we stay in touch with our tribe because they get something in their hand on a regular basis. The right person, the right message, the right rhythm, and it's valuable to them. So building relationships is a constant duty and delight of any leader. So wordsprint.com, check out. It's not only a print shop, it's a mailing house, it's a marketing program. And there's decades of research to show how you keep your donors donating, your customers relevant, and everybody that's a stakeholder engaged. Russell, what would you, I mean, um, Stuart, what would you like to leave people, what thought would you like to leave with people today? Sure, just the importance of relationships. Um, you know, the book Getting to Resolution uh, might have been called Getting to Relationship. Um, that's the critical piece, okay? And um, alignment, moving through differences and conflict, always back to that place of relationship. That's where productivity comes from. That's where creating value comes from. Um, critical piece. And it only happens as a result of, you know, as Russell, you know, pointed out, being centered in yourself, having alignment within yourself, and then once you have that foundation, now you can use all the tools and techniques that I talk about to um, connect with others. I also wanted to thank both of you for the um, 
wonderful quality um, of um, your presence um, in this interview and um, my pleasure to contribute to the community um, that you guys are serving. Thank you. Thank you. So folks, uh, uh, take a trip over to the resolutionworks.com website. Uh, there's lots of material here. The principles here are very powerful. And the power is in the simplicity. It's not easy. What separates what Stuart is doing from a lot of other things out there that you see is that it's not just dealing with situations or agreements in and of themselves but it's creating a framework where we can talk to one another and continue to have open conversations together to keep things on track. We're all different. We're not gonna agree on every little thing, but if we got a process where we honor one another, the breakdowns are gonna disappear. And that's a wonderful thing. If you're here listening to us, you can find us on iTunes and on some other platforms, the nonprofit exchange is available uh, everywhere. Center Vision Leadership uh, website has all kinds of cool tools and materials. You'll find the notes for this podcast and other resources here. Nonprofit Performance 360 Magazine is a wonderful read for leaders and nonprofits everywhere. And if Sandy hasn't hit you up yet, Stuart, she will. We kind of save that to the back end. We don't want people to think they're going to have to do a lot of work. So just when you think you're off the hook at the end of the broadcast, there we are. We want an article from you. So. Nope. No worries. My, my pleasure. Okay. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was a great interview and such useful material. So Stuart Levine, yet again, it's a great pleasure being with you. My pleasure to be back in connection, you, and thank you, thank you for inviting me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.